are listening to Adjective New Music's podcast, Lexical Tones. I'm your host, Rob McClure. Lyrical. Narrative. Hopeful. Jennifer Bernard Merkowitz is a composer, pianist, and violist whose pieces incorporate a fascination with rhythms, patterns, and stories. She is a professor of music at Otterbein University in Westerville, Ohio, where she has taught composition, theory, aural skills, and electronic music since 2008. Her work has been commissioned by organizations such as the Ohio Music Teachers Association, the Johnstone Fund for New Music, Third Practice Electroacoustic Music Festival, Dance Now Miami, and the Westerville Symphony. A native of Niagara Falls, New York area, Dr. Merkowitz holds a BA in Music and a BS in Computer Science from the University of Richmond, as well as a Master's and DMA in composition from the University of Cincinnati College Conservatory of Music. She lives in Westerville with her husband, two sons, and two cats. Cool. Well, uh, good to see you again. Last time was actually in person at OU. That was fun. I know. Yeah. Yeah, that was really fun to have you down. So we had you down um, for the world premiere of uh, the first piece we're going to talk about. Um, which is uh, your piece for alto flute and electronics called Old Soul. Old Soul. Um, so can you tell me how, how this piece got started with uh, Lindsay Goodman and what was, what was like that initial conversation that kind of resulted in this, in this piece? Yeah, so um, Lindsay and I had talked about doing a piece together and it kind of finally became the moment where we both had time to work on it. I think it was like, it was 2019, I think, when we first had this mm-hmm. conversation. Um, so we got together um, for breakfast and had a conversation about, you know, what kind of piece she was looking for. And I always like to, when I'm writing for someone, I always want to kind of get a sense of like, what music do they like to listen to? What kind of music do they like to play? Uh, and so uh, Lindsay was telling me um, some of the artists that she liked, and she came out with this expression that really struck with me. She said she was an old soul in a new body because she mm-hmm. she really liked um, to listen to kind of old-timey songbook-style stuff like Frank Sinatra. Um, also, she just loved playing avant-garde flute music and so she kind of had this like you know um dual dual personality going um she also told me that her favorite one of her favorite artists was dave matthews band so um so we kind of had just like a conversation Mm -hmm. about all of her you know influences and things she liked to to listen to and play and so that was kind of where the title ended up coming from and it was one of those conversations where we started talking about the piece and then you know it was, it had been a while since, you know, it was like, well, this is kind of in the future. And then, um, when I started thinking about it again, I was like, so remember when we had that conversation and I, you said old soul and she was like, I did. And so (laughs) we kind of had to reconstruct it from there. Um, and then of course, you know, then the pandemic hit and, you know, concert of, of new music was in person was not really something that was going to happen anytime soon. And so, it was kind of a piece that had a long time coming, um, but yeah, that's where the um, the the title and the main idea came from. Now, you, you say the piece had it kind of had a long time coming. Did you were you kind of forced to like start and stop? Were you or did you just kind of like punt it until you knew there would be okay? Well, Lindsay's gonna play it on this, so I better write the thing, kind of thing. 
Yeah, it, it was kind of both. Um, it was kind of like I, I'm always optimistic when I have you know, a break in the academic schedule that like, I'm going to compose. And yeah. then inevitably, like, I'm exhausted, or my kid gets sick, or like, you know, it, so it kind of, it, it kind of kept restarting in terms of like, I'm going to do this, I have this idea, you know, so I think the melody, actually, that made the main opening melody had been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but the actual, once we finally kind of once we were able to really like get together then and I shared that with her and we got together and started doing recordings. I mean, I remember her coming to my office wearing a mask and it was always, it was that kind of in that those last few months where it really all came together because we found like, okay, we're doing this in November at OU and I have to have it, you know, <laughs> with enough time to practice it so that I can perform it. So that was really the last like impetus, like, okay, we're, we're doing this. It's getting done. Yeah, um, in your in your program notes for this, you kind of talked about um, you know obviously the old soul thing was a comment from Lindsay, but then in your own notes, you kind of mentioned how you were thinking about it as it applied to you. Can you kind of like go into that mm-hmm. a little bit? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I kind of was thinking about that opening idea and how I could kind of create. I guess a little bit of a story around it um, and kind of this push and pull of, you know, the different kinds of musical styles. And so I did kind of relate it to my own experience where, um, and, you know, Lindsay and I are are kind of similar in age. um, And so we, I was kind of thinking about, I've kind of reached the point where I don't really worry too much about like, you know, who is the influence? Is anyone going to think that it's serious enough? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, I was, I was thinking about how do you, you know, kind of take these, you know, more avant-garde techniques that you're interested in, pull them into something that really speaks to me as a composer. And I'm always kind of interested in, um, you know, singable melodies and groovy beats and things like that. And, And how do I kind of like reconcile those things? And so we had a lot of fun with, um, you know, things like singing into the alto flute and, um, you know, creating, um, you know, choirs out of multiple alto flutes and pitch shifting and all those kind of fun things you can do in Max, um, but also kind of pulling it back to that initial kind of, you know, soulful melody. Yeah. So you, you just brought it up. Um, the, you know, it, it's a piece that has electronics, it's run in max. Um, so can you can you talk a little bit about the electronics? Like you just mentioned pitch shifting. So what what are the other things that the electronics are doing in the piece? So the electronics are um, in terms of the like live processing, it's it's fairly straightforward. There is reverb. Um, there is uh, pitch shifting, both like an octave above and octave below. Um, and, a, and a lot of it is basically a vehicle to control the playback cues uh-huh. so that Lindsay has a little bit more control about the timing. She can use her pedal and be like, and now this is where I want to start this. So it, it's kind of a combination. Um, it's it's more kind of a it, it. I used it for you know some basic processing, but also just kind of some flexibility in the timing with the fixed media cues. Yeah. So what what kinds of sounds are you bringing into the fixed media? I think when we were talking about uh, when you visited uh, my composers um, last semester, you I think I remember you were kind of talking about like 
you know, certainly the these like instrument and electronics pieces, there's always that impetus to for a lot of composers to be like, oh, well, I'll just use all the sounds from the instrument itself in the electronics. Mm-hmm. And um, I think in relation to that piece, you you said you kind of just like went a different route. So can you talk about the fixed media a little bit? Yeah. So um, initially I did start with um, recordings of alto flute. So Lindsay recorded that kind of opening melody with the flute. But then we were also talking about um, since she was comfortable singing, I recorded some I recorded her singing the melody. I recorded her playing the melody and singing at the same time through her flute. Um, And so I had those sounds to work with. Um, So a lot of the a lot of the fixed media cues do come from that. Um, I ran a lot of them through things like, you know, super extra reverb, backwards, um, you know, pitch correction, that kind of stuff in Logic. Um, I also used um, a program called Amber that is an oldie that I wrote um, as a college student uh, with my fellow student, Matt McCabe. Um, and I, I'm holding on to my... Um, Mac OS Mojave because it still runs that program, um, but it will kind of it's a granular sampling program. It will just uh, you know chop up the sound and put it back together. And I really yeah. I like to use it as kind of a way to generate like a rhythmic underpinning. So uh-huh. um, so that is that is present in there. Um, and then also this is this is kind of the the part that was a little bit new for me. I was just like you know what I don't like we're using Logic drums we're using you know, logic space mandolin, like, so I was kind of bringing in some other uh, sounds too that sounded like they kind of fit with the aesthetic of the piece. And uh-huh. particularly, I think, you know, inspired by the the kind of, you know, Dave Matthews band sound with, you know, guitars and drum sets and, and that kind of stuff. So that was kind of where, um, where the rest of those sounds came from. It's funny. Um, we, so... Obviously, Lindsay came for that uh, click, uh, the electroacoustic concert that we had in November. But about I don't know two or three weeks before we had their uh, the flute quartet, so the Pandemonium Four flute quartet mm-hmm. come and they did a concert at OU, and I was uh, they were playing a piece of mine, and I was kind of serving as their like tech guy for um, for the rest of the concert. So I was there like dress rehearsing with them and um, Kim. Uh, Kim, right, Kim Goodman. Uh, Kim, yeah. Kim Goodman. Yeah. So uh, we were kind of in a down a down space, and Kim and I were talking about like TikTok and and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And Lindsay was just up there like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And we got into start starting to talk about pop music, and Kim and I are just like, Oh, you know them? Oh, you know them? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. We like Kim and I like all the same stuff. And Lindsay's like, I like I like Dave Matthews Band. Like, <laughs> And she was she was talking, you know, about like, you know, she does have that love for that like old timey music, but also classical music and like pop music never doesn't really enter into her life as much as I feel like it does for for like for for like me or or, Mm -hmm. you know, Kim Goodman. And it it was just it was funny. Like she I uh, I I love Lindsay. She's she's awesome. Yeah, Um, she's amazing. Yeah. So the the other thing that um you you made me think of was uh you know talking about like using those logic uh you know built in kind of the the synths that they have and some of the samples that they have like for the longest time i i think i kind of resisted that just because i i don't know it i i had this hang up like oh if it's going to be in the electronics it has to be recorded by me 
or, mm-hmm. or something like that. And I did a project, I don't know, about five or six years ago at this point where um, I was just doing electronics and I had another composer who was going to write um, the uh, the percussion part for this piece because they, it was really their piece. Like I was just kind of stepping in to do electronics with them. And um, I, I kind of set myself the uh, the the challenge of like, okay, you're other than like this drum set sound or uh, sorry, the snare drum sound that I recorded him doing. I'm not going to use a single like live uh, or, or sing, single like recorded sample, only use the logic stuff. And it was it was like so fun. And I think it really got yeah. got you past the like the hang up of like, I don't know, electronics have to be this, you know, so. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. And when you think about like when you first let students loose in a program like that mm-hmm. and you're just like, here are where the loops are. And you're just like, OK, anything you say after this is like nobody's <laughs> listening because they are like, what? You know, loops? Like, Wait, what? No, this sound, this sound, this sound. So, yeah. Yeah, I kind of have to like rein it in. Yeah, yeah. I de- w- in my electronic classes, I'm definitely telling them like, okay, you can u- actually in in one of the projects I for the class I taught last semester, I told them like you can use this like these five synthesizers, and none of them are the ones where it has like sampled, you know, oh, you have drum set sounds or orchestral sounds. Like, no, you you can use a real synthesizer. Like, kind of. Kind of get get that before you get unleashed upon uh, all the all the other bells and whistles that Logic has. Um, mm-hmm. In this piece, you know, I I think you have a number of uh, you you kind of talked about the the different influences, be it like Dave Matthews Band or or that kind of like that kind of sound at least, you know, with with drum sets and the the space mandolin, which which is a cool like patch in Logic. Um, but I also felt like there were like a number of different kind of styles. Um, maybe styles isn't the right word, but, uh, is, is kind of poly stylism a thing in your music, would you say, or was it kind of just related to this piece? That's a good question. I mean, I would say that it is, um, because I think I I do like to kind of just pull from a lot of different things. And sometimes I don't really even think about it. I mm-hmm. think, you know, it's very kind of fluid for me to just be like, oh, and this is kind of sounds jazzy. And now we've moved on to like, you know, romanticism or something like that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, so I guess it, it was kind of deliberate, but it's also, I mean, each piece kind of, I think, calls for its own individual like style and it, it in the end I think it it probably still sounds like my music which is maybe kind of all over the place mm-hmm. um in terms of in terms of what it sounds like I mean I don't know that um I don't know that there's like one particular style that I have so I think that would be fair yeah yeah kind of like being being open to different things making it in and kind of like i mean truly the melody is the thread that like kind of ties mm-hmm. it all together that that mm-hmm. material mm-hmm. yeah and so i think for this piece in particular like that was kind of the that was the main idea from the beginning so i was looking for ways to kind of draw it out and develop it 
throughout the course of the piece. So it did kind of go through particular, a couple different, you know, environments and iterations throughout. So it kind of, you know, started out as this like very, just like on its own, kind of almost melancholy sounding melody to, you know, the point where it becomes like, the like intense dance breakdown about two thirds of the way through. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. you kind of you kind of have a banger hiding in the middle of this, you know, mm-hmm. with like a thump and beat and everything. It's pretty cool. Well, uh, yeah. let's listen to it. So what we're gonna hear is uh, the recording we made at mm-hmm. Ohio University when we did the premiere. Uh, this is Lindsay Goodman on alto flute, and this piece is called Old Soul.
Okay, so let's talk about uh, your piece, Ellis Island. And I wanted to start by trying to get into the text for this. So Mm -hmm. first of all, what is your connection to the the poet, uh, Daniel Neer, who also happens to be the tenor on this yes. recording. So kind of kind of tell us the story of like how the text came about and the and the story of the text. Mm-hmm. So um, Daniel Neer uh, is an amazing singer, but also lyricist. And he is from the Columbus area. Um, and he, a, f- a number of years ago, started this kind of annual residency at Otterbein. So he would come and work with our singers, um, and um, he was he was always interested in creating new works as well. And so eventually he got involved with the composition studio when he would come and visit us. And so, um, you know, he would come, and each performance that he did when he was in residency, there would be, like, some sort of new piece that he had either worked on himself or he was presenting. Um, and so at one of those points, we had a conversation. He said, hey, you, we should do something together. Um, and so... We, um, because he comes every year, it was kind of easy to plan, like, you know, we're going to do this piece and I'm going to perform it next time I come back. Um, And so we had a conversation um, at some point when we were about to, I think it was probably the summer before we finished this piece. um, And he said he, he is a man of many ideas. So he was like, has this like running notebook of like all these ideas that he might want to work on for the text. So he said, here's, here's these ideas that I'm thinking of. And he kind of ran through, you know, a couple of options. Um, and he was based in New York at the time. So some of them were, a lot of them were kind of based on, you know, the experience of being in New York City. And so one of them that he mentioned was Ellis Island. And so that one really resonated with me because I had done some research on my um, Italian relatives who had come over um, through Ellis Island and, and um had kind of, you know, a few years earlier kind of really dug into that to the point where when we um, went over to Italy in 2006, we actually reconnected with some old, with some distant cousins and got to to meet them. And so, so that was, as soon as he said that, I was like, well, that, that's one that I already like have a connection to. Like, I definitely mm-hmm. would like to do that. Um, and so his, um, we were kind of thinking about like, how could you do a piece about Ellis Island? And so the idea that he came up with was that um, as the singer of this piece, you know, it would make sense if the main character was, you know, someone that he could, you know, inhabit. And so he came uh-huh. up with this idea that he was the immigration officer who was kind of, you know, narrating this experience of um, having a young girl come through, an orphan girl come through and kind of figuring out how, you know, is he going to let her through and how is how is she going to, you know, go on into the United States so that was kind of the main idea of of how that happened. So he wrote the text, um, and then from there, um, he was planning on performing um, with the pianist, um, Tim Huffman. They were planning on doing the whole program together. Um, but he kind of had an idea that he wanted it to be a chamber piece, and so we decided to add clarinet and cello. So that's kind of how it came about. You know, um during the pandemic, not that we're out of it, but um, mm-hmm. we, we're always speaking about it. Like it's like, oh, yeah, during the pandemic, but I during think. the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, my father, because, you know, my parents were just stuck at home with uh, with nothing to do. They're both retired. And uh, he really got into Ancestry.com mm-hmm. like a lot. 
yeah. like in a huge way. He's actually been able to trace like parts of our family back to like the 1500s, wow. which is like it's insane. Um, and we were we were like able to learn things about uh, our name uh, that mm-hmm. we didn't know. For instance, I mean, we always we always had assumed that McClure was an Irish name. And that we were like a certain percentage of, of uh, being Irish, and uh, as it turns out, we're not like at all. Mm. Uh, we we are were Scottish, but the McClures were like living in Ireland, so it was just like this, you know, confusing thing. And like my father is so little, it it's it's crazy that we have kept this name because we are so little Irish. You know, or, or, or sorry, Scottish. Um, Scottish, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, like it just, you know, he's gotten really into it and whatever. I Every time he tells me these facts, I'm like, okay, I, all right. I That's that's very nice. But the one thing it made me, it really made me think about is, you know, going back and further and further and further, um, you know, where all of these, all of these like genetic boundaries were were just so arbitrary to me it like the one thing it made me think about like it learning about that that past history just it really makes me feel closer to like anyone because the Mm -hmm. farther and farther back you go you realize how how deeply connected we all are Mm -hmm. you know so it was i mean you know, when you were when you were doing that research on your on your family, like what what kinds of things what kinds of things did you learn? Obviously, you you found relatives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that I learned right off the bat was that the name had changed, which I didn't which I mm. didn't realize. You know, I was looking for my mother's maiden name is Catino, so I was looking for that, and it turned out that. Um, in Italy, it was Catini with an I. And so it was sometimes you would search and you wouldn't come up with anything. Um, and so, and then someone who had, who had like, you know, translated the ship manifest into the Ellis Island website. Uh, my grandfather, great grandfather's name was Jacobe, you know, Italian for Jacob. And mm-hmm. somebody had put it in as Gracobe. So like, it, just finding it like they were just like trying to read the cursive and just like yeah know, putting it in so like it took it took a while to figure out like oh this is yes this is in fact my relative um even though the name looks kind of weird um but yeah it's it's hard to like go back and trace like it's been a while now since i did this but eventually like i had known from my grandfather the name of the town and so i found the website of the town and managed to somehow find, um, you know, the, the, I, I think I actually wrote to some, I wrote to like someone who worked in public records in the town and I had enough Italian that I had been working on in grad school that I could kind of write that letter. <laughs> and, uh-huh. <laughs> you know, they, so they, um, you know, some, and I, I think I then got like an address and I sent a letter, like a snail mail letter and oh my gosh. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, it was this dramatic thing. And then so, so we, my family and I, so my sister had been studying abroad in Italy that year and my parents um, were going to, we were all going to kind of go over there during the Christmas break. Um, and we had this hotel reservation in the town and we told them like, we're going to be at this hotel on this date. Um, and, 
And then our plane coming to London, there was freezing fog. So we were like, we were not leaving. (laughs) We were not getting from England to Italy. So we did not get there. Um, And thankfully, it was like this whole web of connections. Like my um, composition teacher from uh, CCM, Joel Hoffman, Mm, um, his, um, his, um, his ex-wife, um, they were all on, um, they were actually in Italy at the time and, and she was Italian. And so she actually like called up the hotel and was like, this is what happened. And so we managed to still meet them a few days later, but it was like, I I don't even know how it happened. It was kind of a miracle, but, um, (laughs) we did manage to like go and (laughs) find, um, you know, my whatever second, third cousin, um, and, and meet them. And so it was kind of a surreal experience, but, um, yeah, but then, you know, like meeting someone and you're like, oh, you look my, you look like my uncle. Like this right. is, this is so like, you know, this is so bizarre and also amazing. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, I mean, that's, and so that was kind of the experience of, of, of then. And then like in, in the recent past, like my husband and I did the like 23 and me, mm-hmm. Um, genetic analysis and um, that was that was interesting as well because um, you know it'll show you now like we found like all these like third and fourth cousins of you know and I'm like I don't know what any of these people are like mm-hmm. I guess I could like reach out to them but as you say like we're connected to so many people yeah. that yeah. you know we just we don't even realize like you know we have our little you know bubble of family but it's everyone is connected i think i mean yeah and i mean it it was it it just it just made so much it was so clear to me that it's like i i I think i I can't remember where i learned this but i it was probably tiktok that's where i get all my information anymore it's it's really embarrassing (laughs) but anyway (laughs) um it was like you know if they're if you go back like they're they're how many billion uh people right now you know probably Mm -hmm. like close to eight billion or something like that and if you if you go back and okay if we all had you know individual mothers there should be this number of people now and clearly there's not you know so like it it just means that like if you if you go back far enough we're all related clearly mm-hmm. you know like and that whole that whole idea of like oh well I'm this and that means this and it's like eh, that doesn't really mean anything you know so it was just it was just interesting like how uh, how how deep he got into my dad deep he got into this research and still is I mean he's still finding like you know go, going further back um, at the same time he was doing this um, because it was the summer and it was COVID and there was absolutely nothing to do and I really wasn't writing that much because it seemed like kind of pointless at the time because who knew when we were going to come back um, mm-hmm. to to actually like having concerts and stuff i was doing my like composer genealogy um Mm -hmm. so like you know you go back to the teacher of your teachers of their teachers of their teachers um which was fun i got back a long long way um which uh weirdly weirdly enough like i got back to um oh god what was his name Mm, damn it I'm not going to be able to come up with it. Like, 
Uh, definitely into the Renaissance. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, man. Oh, oh uh, no, I, I came up with uh, Orlando DeLassis. Wow. That's the oldest, that's the like latest person I could find. And the key to getting to Orlando DeLassis is um, I studied with Shihui Chen at mm-hmm. Rice. She studied with Earl Kim. And Earl Kim is the key that gets you to Schoenberg and then gets you way, way, way oh, back. Okay. So it's it's crazy. Yeah. Wow. Anyway. The, these, uh, I have these not projects. done that. That would be really interesting. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and the 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 problem, it, like trying to organize it, was the huge mm-hmm. problem because I didn't really have anything. Like, how do how do you organize this and show all the connections? Because unlike a family tree where you just have two parents, mm-hmm. um, each one of these composers might have had like up to like six different teachers. Yeah, you know, and they might all share teachers in a weird way. So I, I did it in Max actually. Um, I <laughs> you just know, made... that's funny because I think I did do my um, Italian family tree in Max back really? in the day. Yeah, yeah, because it was like this is exactly what I need. I need boxes and I need patch cords and I yes. Need... <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, with with this piece, you know. Related to what you were saying um, in Old Soul about, you know, like kind of reconciling that uh, that desire to kind of like write, quote unquote, pretty music and Mm -hmm. then explore all these, you know, explore all this, uh, the experimentation that you want to do. I feel like these last two pieces that we're going to talk about are on each side of that uh, of that spectrum. You know, like this one being more closer to the quote unquote, like traditional, like pretty music. I mean, mm-hmm. it actually has a key signature for one thing, you yeah. know, so when, uh, when you're, when you're writing this, are you like, do you, do you almost have like almost kind of different modes or different gears that you, that you shift into when it's like, okay, well, this is where you, uh, were you specifically going to a more tonal place? Were you kind of reacting to the text? Like, or, or was, did this just like, it just seemed natural. Like, this is what Mm -hmm. I want to do with this, this story. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, it was a couple things. I mean, I knew that it was going to be a vocal piece. So I wanted the, the, the vocal line was going to be, you know, easy to sing. I mean, Mm -hmm. not in the sense that it was like super simple, but like, you know, easy easy to find the pitches and, and right. have it kind of be logical to find in the voice. Um, I also talked with Daniel about incorporating a little bit of a, you know, he was thinking that perhaps this girl in the story was from Eastern Europe, and we talked about kind of having kind of a klezmer sound to it, and mm, so with okay. the clarinet, and I was kind of, so I was thinking about incorporating those kind of scales, um, and so it did kind of fall into a particular key then. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Yeah. So, I mean, I think it was kind of what we together wanted to do for the piece and also kind of making it, um, you know, something that was going to be kind of, you know, singable and um, and recognizable as a particular kind of like old school style, I guess you would say. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's let's listen to it. So uh, we've got Daniel Neer who is the lyricist and the vocalist, uh, Hild Pearson, who's on clarinet, 
Jill W. Christ on cello and Timothy Huffman on piano. This is Ellis Island. Jesus, wait for our 
So the last piece we're going to talk about for bass clarinet and electronics, I will let you say the title of. (laughs) Okay. And I will try to say the title. I do not actually spring French. Um, The title is Les Crapauds de la Fontaine. So I apologize to anybody who speaks French who's listening to this. Um, It translates as the toads from the fountain. I mean, it sounded great. So definitely better than I would have done it. We had uh, we had a composer on a previous podcast who uh, is uh, French Canadian, and there were so many things in their bio that I need I mm-hmm. I needed a like a pronunciation guide for, and I called Jamie Lee Sampson because I know she. <clears throat> she can pronounce French at least. And I was like, can you just record this for me so I can listen to it like sentence by sentence and try to mm-hmm. mimic your <laughs> your pronunciation? Because yeah. that, yeah. So so why is, why is the title in French? So the title is in French because of uh, where the recordings came oh. from. So this is a piece where um, I, I recorded the sounds from this in the summer of 2008. I had just gotten my fancy new Zoom H4 recorder, yes. and I was super excited. And I had these really loud frogs and toads outside of my apartment complex. Um, and it was like one of those, like, you know, lakes with the fountain coming uh-huh. up. And the, the, um, the development was called... La, they didn't call it La Fontaine. They called it La Fontaine. Yeah. 
But, um, you know, it was the, the sign said like La Fontaine and it had like the little like, you know, fountain on the sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so so that was where those recordings came from. And, you know, it was kind of like it was a hot summer and there was just like so many. And for a while I thought for a while I thought they were geese because oh. we had these like, you know, geese who would like be in the lake and hovering around the lake. And it was kind of this like almost like squawking honking sound. Mm. And so I was like, I'm going to go out and record. And then I was like, wait a second. This is not, the sound is not coming from these geese over here. The sound is coming from like the bushes right by our apartment. Like, so it was, and I was, so I realized it was all these frogs and toads that were just like, they were just, you know, ribbiting and away. So (laughs) doing their thing. It was, (laughs) they were doing their thing. And it was, um, It was so fascinating to just like, I have like, you know, I was just out there for like an hour one night and I would just like stand in like different spots and kind of watch these frog and like watch and like listen to these frog calls kind of go in and out of phase with each other. Cause it would be like, you know, one of them would be like super, you know, they were on their own rhythm. And then there was another group over here who was doing kind of a different rhythm. And so, um, some of it just sounded kind of chaotic, but then there would be these like these little moments that would like sound like some cool syncopated pattern in four four. Uh-huh. So I was just kind of like moving around and capturing all these uh, moments in at La Fontaine. So that's where uh, that's where the title of the piece came from. I was just like, well, it's kind of like, you know, the, the name of the apartment complex is in French. So what's frogs and toads in French? And I like the word for for toads better. Yeah. I think the word for for frog is like uh, I'm probably gonna mess it up. It's like grenouille or something like that. Yeah, um, that's that. That is one of my favorite things to do is just like go out with with a field recorder and try to capture stuff. And it's so fun. Like oh, I several times in China, you know, we'd be the, the whole purpose of us being out was like we were we're on this vacation with some of our like European friends and we went to these mountains and we're going to hike the mountains and everything and I'm the nerd like carrying around you know zoom <laughs> and like no 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 right. shut up shut up shut up like <laughs> who mm-hmm. everyone has no idea what I'm doing but man I found these like these insects that were doing the same thing they they were going in and out of phase and creating the most insane polyrhythms and they're so small and so quiet and I'm like you know inching closer and closer because I don't know if you've had this experience with the frogs, but it's like if you mm-hmm. hit a certain spot, they like become aware of you and they stop. Right. And it's like, oh, so like be really still and silent and they'll get going again. But mm-hmm. yeah, I had I, another time I was in China specifically recording frogs and I was like, oh my God, these frogs are amazing. I'm I'm going to like, and it, it's also like obviously uh, different types of frogs, different um species of frogs mm-hmm. you know they all they all mm-hmm. have their own you know their own ribbit you know their own pitch their own rhythm their everything like that and the frogs in china they don't even sound like frogs like that's that's really why i wanted to kind of capture this because it's like it's like nothing you've you've heard before and um so I was in this apartment complex that very similar, like it had kind of a pond mm-hmm. in the middle. And I'm like out amongst the bushes in the summer around this like standing water, just getting 
Mm-hmm. Eaten alive by mosquitoes <laughs> to try and get these frogs out. I I looked at my legs the next day. I was like, oh my god, I don't know if it was worth it. Like, <laughs> yeah. So so you're you're recording and you're finding these like little spots of you know polyrhythms and and everything. So that's what we're. I mean, how much how much processing did you do? Uh, to the frog sounds after the fact to like put it into this piece or are we just like hearing how it was sometimes? So uh, I would say there was a lot more editing than there was processing. Oh, okay. So um, it, the processing that I did a lot of times was just to try to get rid of like all of the you know, ambient wind noise yeah. and like just kind of the of the recording. Right. Um, but no, I was, I was listening to like, you know, recordings that were, you know, a couple minutes long and being like that moment, that sounds like something that I could loop uh-huh. so that I would kind of like be like, okay, here's a thing that I want to do. And then there was a lot of like, you know, trying to figure out like, okay, what is the, what is the BPM of this and where exactly am I going to cut it so that if I repeat it, it will kind of sound like a, a repeating loop. So, um, most of the things that, yeah, I mean, most of the frog calls that, that are in this piece are just pretty much unadulterated in terms of like the pitch and. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, there's, there's not a lot. Um, I think there was, there are some, there's actually some processing I know of like, um, little noises that I made. Uh-huh. Like I know there's one thing in the beginning where I'm like, huh. <laughs> you know, I'm like, hmm. And then I, so then it's like, hmm. And then it goes hmm, down an octave. And then it's like, <laughs> and then it keeps going. Um, so there's some, there's some stuff like that, but um, mostly it's, mostly it's just the frogs. Like just, you know, just what they were doing. Yeah. Is it, I, um, and there's a, a Fowler's toad is one of this particular kind because I have one picture um, of the toads that were actually just like hanging out on our front porch. And so I assume that they're in the piece. Right. Um, yeah. So I kind of looked them up and actually got like a, a CD from um, the it, this was in Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, I got a, a CD from like the Department of game in inland fisheries or whatever Uh and they had like a frog it was like the year of the frog actually i think the year that i actually wrote the piece i actually got around to writing the piece in 2015 so they had all sorts of like you know frog swag that you could get um and so i have this (laughs) i have this t-shirt that says virginia is for frog lovers that i wore to the premiere of the piece um and so, and so this CD actually was really helpful for me to figure out, like, what actual frogs do I have in right. this piece? Because I was really curious. And so one of them was Fowler's Toad. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Um, just we, we were down in North Carolina to, to see my wife's uh, family. And they I mean, they have some. Oh, my gosh. They have some frogs mm-hmm. and, and toads. And there was this one that it sounded we literally thought. There were sheep somewhere. It sounded <laughs> like like a, a right. like a sheep baaing. Right. And you just right. type it into Google, like, is there some kind like a sheep sound of a frog? And they're like, oh, yep, it's this thing. I, I can't remember mm-hmm. what it was now, but it was like Yeah. Yeah. There are a few of them that are just kind of this like high, like bleeding sound. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right. So this yeah. is this is for bass clarinet and and the frog mm-hmm. sounds. So like when uh you said you recorded the sounds in 20 uh 2008 and you got around to writing the piece in 2015. So was just this was this a case of like uh oh like this piece for bass clarinet came along. What do I do? You know, and oh, I've got these frog sounds that have been sitting around for a while. Mm-hmm. That was basically it. That was pretty much it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, well, I, I I recorded them and I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to make a fixed media piece with these frog mm-hmm. sounds. And then, so that was the summer, like, right as I had a one-year appointment at the College of William & Mary. And then we were moving um, to Columbus just so I could start this job at Otterbein. Um, and then, you know, all sorts of, you know, other things are happening, trying to get my you know, feet on the ground here and other projects coming up. And so they just kind of sat. And then Mm -hmm. um, in 2015, um, my former composition professor from University of Richmond, Ben Browning, contacted me and said, hey, we're going to do these alumni commissions at the Third Practice uh, Electroacoustic Festival. Could you write a piece? Um, And we have this uh, feature performer, Andrea Cheeseman, who was playing clarinet. And I said, cool. And, And I was like thinking, well what could I do? And then I was thinking, oh, I have all these frog recordings. And then, so I was thinking, well, frog recordings, clarinet, bass clarinet could be cool. Can I do bass clarinet? And they're like, sure. So, so it was kind of actually similar to the thought process of like, oh, I'll write a piece for Lindsay Goodman, flute. Hmm, how about alto flute? Right, I yeah. go lower. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so, so it became a piece for bass clarinet and, frogs as opposed to just a fixed media piece. Um, but that actually worked out really well because um, one of my um, former students, who's actually the performer on the recording um, that we're going to listen to, um, I brought him into my office and I said, okay, let's talk about like, you know, if you wanted to make your bass clarinet sound like a frog, like what could we do? And so he was kind of, you know, introducing me to all the possible like multiphonics mm-hmm. and things you could do on the bass clarinet. And you know, just that like low note with harmonics, like sweeping up, just like uh-huh. really sounded like a frog croak. And I was like, that's awesome. We have to use that. Yeah. So that kind of became like the the bookends of the piece was those like multiphonics on the bass clarinet. Yeah. So can you, uh, I, th- I think we talked about this when you were at OU, but um can you kind of talk about how you got into electronics? I mean, certainly you've been teaching it since 2008 and you have a, a, a wide number of pieces that use electronics. So like what what was mm-hmm. the initial like thing that kind of got you into into using electronics musically? Well, I think it was, I mean, probably as a college student, um, you know, I was I was always kind of interested in doing things involving technology. Um, and I didn't do much of that like in high school, but I remember like, as I was looking at programs for college, I was kind of interested in the ones that had some sort of like recording or technology component. Um, I had always been kind of like a math geek interested in programming. Um, and so when I got to college, I actually ended up you know, adding a computer science major and working in the technology lab at Richmond. And so it was kind of a natural curiosity for me, I guess, to figure out, like, how can I combine music and electronics? So when I started taking computer music classes, um, it was really like kind of, you know, click like, oh, this is really like 
up my alley. Yeah. Like this is this is the kind of stuff that I really enjoy doing and you know and and kind of like composition in a way like suddenly you realize like oh not everyone else is geeking out about this like you know people are like complaining about it or being like oh I I how do people do this and i'm like but it's so awesome yeah. like so um so yeah i kind of like ended up um learning you know ending up learning more about recording and and doing more composition with that um and so then when i um when I ended up going for my master's um, at Cincinnati, um, they had a, you know, computer music studio. Uh, my professor, Mara Helmuth, was um, really encouraging and awesome. And so so I just ended up continuing and doing more and more yeah. of it. So, Isn't yeah. that, it, it, it's always a little bit disappointing when, especially when you're inter- introducing something to students and you're like, how are you not? How are you not, your mind isn't blown right now. This is so awesome. Like, can't you just, (laughs) it's so good. And they're like, okay, whatever. I was like, come on. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like, it was just, Mm -hmm. like, electronics just opened up a whole new world um, for Mm -hmm. me creatively and, and, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, all right. Well, uh, yeah. let's listen to this. So uh, this is Andrew uh, Andrew Kovaleski on bass clarinet, and I will let you say the title one more time. <laughs> I will try. Uh, Les crapauds de la fontaine, the toads from the fountain. Thank you. 
All right. So uh, last question. Uh, how did you uh, find music as the thing that you wanted to pursue for your your life? Mm. Well, I I think, I mean... I started when I started music, I was probably like about like seven years old when I kind of got into it and started taking piano lessons, ended up joining orchestra, playing viola. Um, it was always kind of my happy place to be doing music. Um, and, you know, I was I was always practicing, <laughs> you know, like I was always on the piano um, to the point where, you know, my sister would be trying to watch TV and she'd be like, stop practicing. <laughs> I want to watch a show. Um so it was kind of just always something that I wanted to be doing. And um, I started adding like more and more things. Like in high school, I was like, wanted to join the choir. And then I was like, you know, I could, I could be in every ensemble. I could try to learn a bit of a little bit of clarinet. And um, so I was like sitting last chair of third clarinet my senior year in high school. And um, so it was, it was never really like, there was never really any question that I was going to do something with music. I just didn't know what, mm -hmm. you know, I, so I kind of just like kept going in that direction. Um, and so, um, and even then, I guess when I, when it came to like the point where, you know, I was graduating college and figuring out, I could have d gone a couple different ways, I guess. But um, once I discovered composing, I was just kind of like, this is my thing. This is, this is what I love to do. And, and I'm going to keep doing it. So how can I keep doing it? Well, I'll go to grad school and then, and, um, you know, be a professor. I always enjoyed teaching too. Um, so it, it was a pretty like logical, just like straight line for me. Um, so, so, and now I'm, you know, still doing it Yeah. all the time. So another fellow high school music overachiever, like I was, I was also mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I'll do the band. Oh yeah. Do you need a bass player for the orchestra because you don't have any? Mm -hmm. Sure. I'll, I'll do that. Yeah. Like I play guitar. I'm sure it's the same. Like, <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Well, before we go, um, can you tell people uh, where they can uh, find more of your music, where they could connect with you online, stuff like that? Um, yeah. So I have a website. It is jbmcomposer.com. And I have a Facebook page. Um, I have a SoundCloud. So um, and most of the SoundCloud is Jenny Merkowitz. So those are kind of the things where I am the most often. Cool. All right. Well, yeah. thank you so much for doing this, Jenny. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. As always, if you want to find out more about adjective new music or lexical tones, please go to our website, www.adjectivenewmusic.com. <laughs>